All right, well, we're going to uh, get into this message today. Um, over the last few weeks, I've been talking about a living sacrifice. How many have gotten something out of it? God Almighty expects you and I to be uh, living our life as a living sacrifice dedicated to Him. And why is that? Well, it's because of what He's done for you. He went to the cross, put His arms out, nailed to the cross and said, I did this for you. I love you this much. And so in turn, what we do is we give our lives as a sacrifice to him. And we do that willingly. We do that obediently. And as believers, our values, our standards are different than society. Wouldn't you agree? And, and that's part of being a living sacrifice. In fact, our, living, our, our morals and standards are different than society. Every day that you go about, I mean, in here, we don't have to worry about people cussing up a storm. You know, you go to stores and there's parents yelling at their kids, cussing them out. That's why I don't go to Walmart. But you know, you, you can find that at any place. And um, it just reminds us that society's values are completely opposed to our values. Even during the time of Jesus, they face this. Jesus taught a certain set of values, and the world's values at that time were completely different. And what, what we know, though, the wonderful news is that not only did Jesus teach us how to live, he also taught us the characteristics that should be found in the life of believers, prominent characteristics. You know, when you think about it, think about yourself right now as a person there are certain characteristics you have, whether they're physical characteristics or whether they're you're part of your makeup that are inherited from your parents and your grandparents. Amen? Uh, some of you have straight hair. Some of you have no hair. Some of you have blonde hair. Some of you have dark hair because those are characteristics from your parents. And in the same way, Jesus taught us these characteristics that we're supposed to exhibit in our day-to-day -day life and so during the week I teach a Bible study it's called we've been teaching a Bible study for the last five six weeks we have been on the Beatitudes how many have joined me on that a few of you have joined me on that and we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 where the Beatitudes are found it's where Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount it's the greatest sermon that Jesus ever taught in the Bible. You won't find another sermon better than that. And so today, I want to talk to you about that. And I've titled it The Summer on the Mount. Number one, it's summertime. And during this time of the Beatitudes, Jesus went up on a mountainside to teach his disciples. And he went up there. And how many know that everywhere Jesus went, thousands of people followed him everywhere he went? Not just hundreds, but the Bible says thousands. He fed 3,000 on one occasion, 5,000 on another occasion. Thousands were always following him. And it was in 2013 when I went to Israel. Um, it was a wonderful trip. And we got to go to the location where they say Jesus preached this sermon on the mount. And they don't know exactly, but they do know it was up above the Sea of Galilee. And we went to the northern uh, part of the Sea of Galilee, and there's a hillside, and they've built a church there where they believe Jesus preached this message. 
And so we're up there, high up on this mountainside, looking down at the sea, and I could just picture Jesus up here on the top, and then his disciples all around sitting down, listening to him teach. And here's the thing that you have to understand. He's teaching disciples, believers. He's teaching believers here. So today, I want you to go to your Bible, if you brought your Bible with you, your electronic device, go to Matthew chapter 5, the Gospel of Matthew, the first, first book in the New Testament. And I'm going to be reading the first 16 verses in the Gospel of Matthew. And beginning with verse 1, it says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp or light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray your blessings now for the rest of this time this afternoon. Give us ears to hear your word today, and Lord, let it, let it be understood not only to our, to our hearing, but in our hearts and in our spirits, and we give you thanks, and we give you praise, and all the glory and honor belong to you, and we pray that in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. It was just beautiful when I went to Israel to be able to see, overlook an area where this teaching took place. How many know that you, you can just get the Holy Ghost goosebumps when you know that you're in an area that Jesus walked. When Jesus walks certain places, you can just, and I still think about it, and I can still remember it like it was yesterday. Those are memories that I'll never forget. But I want to share with you the Beatitudes is what I'm going to be focusing on, and we'll see how many we get through today. But I want to talk to you of, to, on being of this attitude. How many have ever yelled at, their, at your kids to have the right attitude. Don't have that poor attitude. Shape up your attitude. Change your attitude. And on and on and on. It's a thing that even our Heavenly Father wants from us. There are certain characteristics that we are to display a certain attitude. I love it when I hear people 
Uh, I believe, uh, well, I've heard some testimonies recently of people just coming up and sharing, even what we did recently with the homeless people, reaching out and just being a blessing to somebody, having an attitude, of, instead of saying, ah, they, they blew it, you know, they got hooked on drugs, that's their problem. Or they're homeless because of X, Y, or Z, you know, that's their business. No, we don't do that. We say, can we be a blessing to them? Can we help them somehow? Can we help pick them up, encourage them, pray for them? That's what God expects of you and I as characteristics in us that are opposed to the world. The world would just walk on by and not even pay attention to people that are out there like that. But I want to share with you just four quick things on the Beatitudes that they can be understood in four ways. Number one, they're a code of ethics for the disciples and a standard of conduct for all believers. Number two, they contrast kingdom values which are eternal with worldly values that are temporary. Three, they contrast the superficial faith of the Pharisees, remember the religious people of that time, with the real faith that Jesus Christ wants. And the fourth one is they show how the Old Testament expectations will be fulfilled in the new kingdom today. Amen. And all these beatitudes must be taken as a whole. Do you realize that every single one, starting with the very first one, builds upon each other? It's like a, a staircase. You start off with the first one, and that one takes you to the next one, and the next one. You can't do number four without having done number one first. You, when you read these, you realize, okay, I get it. It's a staircase in my growth, characteristics that I must display as a Christ follower. So the, the very first thing I would tell you today is that the Beatitudes do not tell us how to be saved, obviously, but they tell the saved how to behave. How many would agree with me on that? Amen? Uh, all of us still to this day remember when we were told by our parents, quit misbehaving or quit doing that and behave and I remember as a little kid, you know, okay, we're going to go visit here. Now, you better behave, and you better, don't touch anything. Or was that me telling my kids when I was younger? But, uh, you know, we expect a certain behavior. We don't want our kids running around crazy in other people's homes, breaking expensive things, touching things. We want the, I want you sitting right here next to me. Uh, you know, and then the wild one, you put them right next to you, Right? That's, that's how you control those little kids. You put them right next to you. Anna taught me that. Amen. But here's the thing about the Beatitudes. They show us the true character of believers. Everybody say character. Character is something that, that you learn to display that's a part of you. It's in you. You can't just be taught character. It has to be a part of you. Amen. So a citizen in God's kingdom produces godly character. It's opposed to what the world shows. It's opposed to the values of this world. Secondly, the Beatitudes bring us closer to Christ. If you live a life filled with the Spirit of God, choosing to make God number one, you will display these uh, characteristics in your life, and they will draw you closer to Jesus Christ because and I'll tell you why because it'll the word of God helps us to recognize how short 
or how, where we fall. Amen? Have you ever read the Word and said, oh, man, I'm a mess. You know, you read some of the books of Psalms, uh, Proverbs, and, and you're just allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you, and you realize how, how, fall, how, how short you fall, how, how you just are not worthy sometimes of, of approaching a holy God. But here's the thing. The character of Christ, as you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, draws you closer to Him. And as I mentioned, each of these Beatitudes are written so that one builds upon the other. So that's where I want to take you through here for the next few moments. But how many here like to be blessed? Anybody here like to be blessed? I think that's all of us. You like blessings or to be blessed. And this chapter that we just read, these verses, did you notice something in every one of these? Blessed, or blessed, is the person who does this. So, how many want to be blessed? Raise your hand again. Okay. You should be paying close attention to this. This will change your life. This will get you on the right track with God. It'll get you on the right track in how to live for God. The word blessed in the context of Matthew chapter 5, what it means is to experience hope and joy no matter what's going on around you. So that means you can experience hope in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a cancer diagnosis. You can still experience hope. You can experience peace in the middle of a death. You can still have God's overwhelming supernatural peace comfort you. Amen? Those are things available to you and I. That's what the word blessed means, that regardless of the situation around you, you can still be blessed. And the only way we find that, the deepest form of happiness, is when we follow Jesus Christ. It's not driving that brand new car that you think about. Right now, some of you are thinking, man, I wish I had the money to buy a 2023 F-250 or whatever it might be. That's a Ford pickup, by the way. So getting back to the Beatitudes, I love what Pastor Rick Warren said. Pastor Rick Warren said, the Beatitudes reveal that true happiness is not found in worldly success or possessions, but in a relationship with God and living according to His ways. When you live according to His ways, you live a blessed life. Amen? Because how many know that even rich people commit suicide? Millionaires commit suicide. Billionaires commit suicide. Why is that? Because they're not happy. They're not blessed. They have all the material possessions that any person can have, yet they're still not happy. And I'm telling you here today, true happiness, true fulfillment comes in this relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's go to the very first one, which is poor in spirit. Now, this is what this beatitude wants you to think of. When you hear the word poor, you think of, you think of eating government cheese, right? You think of government um, food and, and food stamps and, and all that. Think about that in our society. Those are poor people and people in need. When you're poor, your dependence is on that check at the end of the month, that Social Security check, those uh, whatever it is, some sort of uh, supplement to help you live day by day, man. God, in, in the same way, in this chapter, this phrase actually is understood by thinking of actual poverty. 
the state of being poor. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand if you've ever lived that way, but let me tell you, when you live that way, it's, it's no fun. It's no fun having to live when there's nothing in the refrigerator, when there's only a gallon of milk in the refrigerator. It's no fun. But the Bible wants you to know this is the type of poor it's talking about. Somebody that's in complete dependence upon others. In fact, in the Bible, the poor are those who utterly have to depend on others for their personal resources or abilities to live, to have well-being in their life. And likewise, you and I as believers are to be poor in spirit, meaning that we have recognized that we are totally dependent on God. Have you figured that out yet, believer? All of us here are totally dependent on God. And the minute we settle that, that's, the, that's first base right there. You have to realize that we must be poor in spirit, meaning you recognize that you are poor, that everything comes from God. Everything comes from the Creator above. You have nothing. We are base. We are worthless without God Almighty. Amen? And, and not, in addition to that, we come to that point when we recognize that sin and corruption in our own life and in the world right there, um, we can't please God because of it. We can't please God because of the sin in our, in our, in our spirit. Uh, we can't please God when we see the things around us going on around us. It, it breaks God's heart to see the things that are going on around us. We know that we need the help of the King of Kings and Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? This is those that are poor in spirit. And the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you recognize that your total dependence is on God. Amen? Yes, you may have a job. Yes, you may have a check. Yes, you may have a retirement check. But just because you have that doesn't mean that that's your supplier. That's the one that takes care of you. God is who takes care of you. Amen? Because let me tell you, God can cut those checks right now, today. Uh, he can cut them off tomorrow, and hopefully he doesn't do that to anybody here. But God is our ultimate person that we depend on. Amen. The second one is, blessed are those who mourn. And I didn't understand this. I remember when I was a young believer, I used to think, well, you mean when we're mourning, when we're crying, we're, we're blessed? What does this mean, Lord? I'm blessed at a funeral when I'm mourning? What, what, what does this mean? And uh, the mourning in this beatitude refers to the mourning that occurs when we stand in poverty of spirit before God, when we realize we have nothing, we are nothing without God. Amen? Blessed are those who mourn. It should cause you to mourn that, Lord, I'm nothing without you. I am poor in spirit, and I have nothing without you. Remember, they're building one upon the other, each one of these. And these are characteristics that you and I are to have. And it's when we recognize really our unholiness and sin before God. And we mourn over it. I'm telling you, there should have been a time at some point when you look back at your life and said, Man, I'm so sorry, Lord, that I used to do this. Or I used to partake in that. And it should break your heart that there are things that you knew that were displeasing to God. And that God forgave you of, 
but that should cause you to mourn, amen? That's what it's talking about here. And not only do we mourn for our own sins, but it should break your heart when you hear of the next shooting that took place. Apparently yesterday there was another shooting in our country. And every day it seems like there's another shooting, another four people dead, another nine people dead, school children and so forth. Those things should cause you to just mourn at the ills of our society and what's going on in our world, amen? When we recognize the unholiness and how the prince of this earth, who is the devil, the prince of the air is the devil, how he has control of this society and control of the minds of people, amen? And, and that should cause us to mourn because all that's coming up as a stench into God's nostrils. He's, he's seeing all this and it breaks God's heart to see mankind living this way. So blessed are you when you mourn over those situations. When you pray over those situations, blessed are you, amen? And again, we mourn because we recognize the sin in us and around us. And unfortunately, we won't ever be able to escape that until we get to heaven, amen? And again, we, we, we recognize the sin in and around us, and that arises from us being poor in spirit. It started off with being poor in spirit and our total dependence on Almighty God, which then causes us to mourn over these things. So blessed are you. Blessed are you. And here's the next one. Blessed are the meek. I used to think when I heard that word, well, meek, that means weak. You know, anybody ever think that before? Meek? Well, that's weak. And that's the total opposite of what this word is describing. You see, when believers begin with poverty in spirit, they start to mourn over their sin and the sin of the world in the face of a holy God. Then this leads to meekness. It should allow you to, in your spirit to say, Lord, I'm not worthy now to stand before you. How many have ever felt that way when you're praying? We, we at times feel not worthy, even though we're a child of the king. Amen? But, but meekness is the quality of having a submissive, gentle, and patient attitude, even though we may have great strength and power. Did you catch that? Let me say that again. Meekness is the quality of having a submissive, gentle, and patient attitude, even though we may have great strength and power. Meek people are not weak people. Another way to put it would be power under control. How many ever heard that? Power under control. And actually, this, the very definition of this word is, is actually finds its background in the training of horses. How many know that a horse is a powerful animal? Just one kick from its hoof can damage you, can kill you. One kick. And a trainer who trains horses, his job isn't to take away that power. It's to harness that power, to control that power. And once they do that, that's power under control. That's actually meekness in a horse. And that's the same thing that the Lord is trying to do to you and I. You have power in your spirit and, and you know, possibly in your physical body, in your mind. You have power. God wants to control that under his presence, under his spirit. Amen. He, he doesn't want you to be out there as a loose cannon, 
He wants to control that power. God has created us with abilities in our mind and in, in our spirits, but both of these need to be submitted to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Power under control. Let me just share a scripture with you, the greatest example of that. If you can put that on the screen, 1 Peter chapter 2. This is the greatest example of power under control. How many realize that Jesus went to the cross willingly, but he could have called down a legion of angels in a second, in an instant, and, and gone away from that situation. But instead, he went to the cross meekly as a lamb to a sacrifice. And he said, no, I'm not going to call down you know, fire from heaven. I'm not going to call down 10,000 angels. And the, and the scripture says, Christ demonstrated meekness in the crucifixion. He did that for you and I. He was the greatest example of this attribute, of this characteristic. And each of these beatitudes, Jesus Christ did them to perfection. Amen. Again, meek people are not weak people. It's power under control, strength under control. And the next one is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I'm not trying to make anybody hungry here. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This means to, to, to be or to have a desire to be free from all sin, to not have to worry about seeing, uh, saying, um, or seeing the next thing on that trip to Walmart or to open your newspaper up or to open up um, something on social media that just declares bad news of something happening, something tragic happening. It involves a sincere desire to be holy. And this is called righteousness. Amen? Everybody say righteousness. Righteousness is just being right with God. That's all it means. Just being right with God. doesn't mean you're a holier than thou. It just means... I'm right with God. That's a great feeling to know that you are right with God, to walk out of here knowing, you know, I'm not a perfect person, but today I'm right with God. Amen? There's nothing better than that. Amen? And blessedness, blessedness is the deep abiding, abiding joy that comes when we live in harmony with God and as we become living sacrifices and obedient to Him. Each of these each of these Beatitudes start with blessed, blessed, blessed. So blessedness is that deep abiding joy that only comes from Him. And if we truly hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied by Jesus Himself because He alone is our righteousness. He's the one that makes you right. It's not what you do. It's not your actions. It's Him. He made you right. Can I get an amen? Now you and I should still continually have a desire to remove any kind of sin from our life. You know, I started going to the point where uh, every now and then years ago, because I've worked in offices for many years, I would somehow end up with a pen or a pencil from work, namely pens, because I'd put them in my pocket, and I'd get home and I'd put them in the drawer, and then finally I, God just reminded me, he said, well, well, you know, that 99-cent pen that you took, it's actually stealing. You didn't pay for it. Yeah, but Lord, they have 500 of them right there in a little box right there. What's one little pen? So ever since then, this was many, many years ago, the Lord convicted me of that little thing. So every time I am tempted to bring a pen, tempted meaning like I, I put it in my pocket, I realize, 
oh, no, I got to put it back on my desk. So I don't take pens home anymore. All the pens we have at home, we purchased, and I feel good about that. I don't have to beat myself up going, oh, yeah, that pen, I remember I stole that from, you know, this place or that place. The Lord convicted me of that. It, and, and being right with God can be something as simple as that. It doesn't have to be, you know, some heavy-duty thing. It could be something simple. So I would ask you the question today, what are some simple things that you can start with in your life so that you can walk every day of your life and say, Lord, I'm right with you. I'm good with you. You and I are good. Amen? It's such a good feeling. It's a liberating feeling and freedom that Jesus paid on the cross. Amen? It's such a wonderful feeling to have that. But again, Jesus himself is our righteousness. Amen? And we should continually have a desire to seek him for the removal of sin in our life, but also the removal of sin in the world that we live in. It's everywhere, unfortunately. We can't escape it because we live in a world that's fallen, in, in lives that are living sinful lives all around us. But here's the great scripture that I love. It found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. I often quote this scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And if you've noticed by now, I say that about every scripture I read in the Bible. It says in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 31, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here's what I want you to listen, though. Verse 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What things is he talking about? Well, the things that they just asked, what, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? All those things, they'll be given to you if you first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's learn to live right, be right. Amen? So again, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then the next one is, blessed are the merciful. Oh boy, this, one's, uh, this one can be tough because we live in a society that doesn't want to show any mercy to anybody. It's like, they deserve that? Let them pay that price. Let them go through that struggle all by themselves. They don't need a handout. They, they made some bad choices. Let them suffer. That's called having no mercy. You know, there's a, there's a big thing in, a, in our world of um, UFC fighting. That's, that's cage fighting. They have caged fighters where they fight and they beat each other up and um, they put them in a cage and it looks like something you'd find back in the Roman times, right? And, and they don't quit until the opponent taps out and he hits the other person on the arm and says, I give up. I give up because they're, they're usually being choked out. They can't breathe, or their arm's about to break, leg's about to break, and they tap out. So the opponent shows them mercy. Amen? But here, in this life that we live, in this world that we live in, we, we see people that make mistakes, and, and, and we think in our mind, well, they don't deserve mercy. And the reality is, you and I have received mercy from God Almighty 
Can I get a big amen on that one? And none of us should ever say, well, he doesn't deserve mercy. She doesn't deserve mercy. Because God Almighty gave you mercy and showed you mercy. Amen? You see, reality is grace and mercy can seem unfair to you when you see that bestowed on somebody that didn't deserve it, but you didn't deserve it either. Mercy to not give you what you deserve. To express mercy is to, res- to seek to remove the mercy the, or the misery that someone is going through. Ever gone through misery and ever wished, oh Lord, remove this from me. And then someone showed mercy on you and somehow it got removed. It could have been financial. could have been a relationship. It could have been something going on in your life and God helped you remove that, that misery because you were shown mercy. Amen? Mercy is a tangible act of removing the misery. Example again, helping the down and out, showing them mercy, helping someone who's made bad decisions in their life. I shared with you the story where I helped that one family. I loaned them money and I bought them uh, groceries in the refrigerator. When I opened, they, they opened the refrigerator and showed me for a family of four, they had a, a gallon of milk in there, and that was it. And so I took them shopping, and I had mercy, even though I knew that uh, the, the reason why they were in that position was he had a gambling problem. He had a gambling problem. But yet there was still mercy shown because he had kids. Jesus is teaching us here in this, in this situation that the good life comes to those that offer what is undeserved, which is mercy. Mercy. Helping out someone who has made bad decisions in their life. And I won't re- uh, ask for a show of hands because all of you have made bad decisions at some point. All of you, because you're human. Amen? Now, I have to warn you that not anyone, anyone here, but there will be some people that hold on to wrongs that have been done against them, and they'll never show mercy to people in their life because of those wrongs. I'm not talking to anybody here. Those are in other churches. Those are people that I don't know, and uh, they live in another community. But don't miss this. You may feel justified in doing so because you may have been wronged. But what Jesus is trying to show us here is that by holding on to those wrongs, What you're doing is preventing yourself from receiving mercy in the future. Have you thought about that? You know, I love it when people show mercy. When you stand up and testify, you were able to bless this couple or that person or this situation. You know what you're doing is you're just putting stuff in your bank account, in your spiritual bank account. You're locking it away, and God's going to bless you back on a future occasion. That's what you're really doing, amen? That's how... The spiritual realm works. We're depositing future blessings for ourselves. Amen. See, there's a blessing for those who show mercy because you can bet a day there's coming in your life when you're going to need mercy. You're going to need mercy in your life. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. On the day you need it, God's going to go look in his spiritual record book He's going to look up your spiritual mercy vault. And if it's empty, guess what you ain't getting? You're not getting any mercy. 
But if there's deposits been made in your merciful bank account, he's going to say, oh, he's good. She's good. I'm going to sprinkle out some mercy on him. Otherwise, he wants us to learn the hard way oftentimes. He's building character in us. Amen? So, again, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And then, I think I'll stop on the next one. Uh, Here's, uh, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. This goes back to the religious leaders, what Jesus was talking about and concentrating on at that time. He was always speaking in opposition to the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees were strict observers of the law. Well, did you dot this I? Did you cross this T? Did you do this and that? They were particular about all the little standards that you had to follow so that you could look good on the outside. But he said on the inside, they were like ravenous wolves. Their their heart wasn't right. And that's really what he's addressing here. Blessed are the pure in heart. Part of that law involved fixing their external appearance. I think you all get it that you can all look good on the outside, but be pretty rotten on the inside. Amen? Have you ever met somebody like that? they, They look good from the outside. But deep inside, they could be an evil person, a conniving person, a wicked person, somebody that you just know is up to no good. But on the outside, you would never know that. So looks on the outside, external looks, are not important to God. What's important to God is, what's your heart like? What is your heart exhibiting? Amen? And Jesus, throughout the New Testament, continually called out the Pharisees. Because he saw through that facade. He saw that they looked holy on the outside, but deep in their hearts, they were wicked. They were, wick- they were far from God. And we can also, because of this, get caught up in doing and appearing to look right in outward appearances and completely ignore our heart. Remember, it's our heart. What did King David say in Psalms 51, Lord, cleanse my heart. Create in me a new heart. Because that's where it starts. He knew that. It starts here in your heart, not on the outside. See, we think if we look the part, we're okay. I'll fake it till I make it, and I'll look okay. But if we fool the people, we're only fooling ourselves. God sees right through that facade. God sees right to the heart, amen? And Jesus comes along and says, and he challenges us by saying something different. He says, it's the pure in heart that are blessed, not the ones that are fulfilling the law and legalism and standards and conduct. It's your heart. What's your heart like? It's not wearing the right clothes or saying the right terms. Well, God bless you, sister. Praise the Lord. It's so good to see you and all the wonderful things that we can say to act a part. Amen? I'd rather be real with you and say, it's good to see you, sister. It's, it's great to see you. Uh, and on and on and on. How many know what I'm talking about today? Amen? Be real. Let your heart shine. Let God sees your heart. Already. So who are you trying to fool? God wants to focus on your heart. And as you've seen every one of these build upon the other, these are characteristics that each of us 
have to have in our life. We have to prominently be displaying these in our life. That's the evidence of a born-again believer, these characteristics. I'm getting ready to close here, so if I can have Bianca come up. Here's a spiritual truth. When you focus on your actions, your heart will never change. Did you catch that? When you focus on your actions, on the do's and don'ts, your heart will never change. But when you focus on your heart, your actions will follow. Focus on your heart and actions will follow. When I first met Anna, and we were talking about that when we were driving over, the girls were here this morning doing worship here at Open Door Church, so they were already here. But as Anna and I were driving over here and our anniversary is coming up later this month. And I was just asking, remember when we first met and how you were checking me out and all this and that. And so, no, but what I was talking to her about how we fell in love and uh, it was our heart first that captured each other. And then the actions of, will you marry me, followed later. And then behind us, followed later. Your heart is what God wants first. Your actions will follow right behind that. Don't try to put the cart before the horse. One step at a time. Get your heart right with God. Amen? So here's the question I have for you today. Are the characteristics of these Beatitudes we're reading today, are they part of your life? Are they already being displayed prominently? as the Word of God spelled it out. And if not, start today. Don't worry about yesterday or the past. Start today. Begin to put these Beatitudes in action. Be of this attitude. That's where we get the term Beatitude. Be of this attitude. Because why? Jesus wants you to be blessed. Remember, he started each one of these with blessed Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. And I saw your hands raised when you said, who want, when I asked who wants to be blessed. Jesus wants us to be blessed. Again, which is to experience hope and joy, peace and fulfillment, which is only found in him. Jesus was the perfect example to all of us on how he exemplified these beatitudes in his life. If you're struggling on how to do this, just read all the red letters in your Bible in the New Testament. Those are the words of Jesus. All the red letters you see is what Jesus spoke. Just read that. You'll see the beatitudes that were displayed in his life. Amen? So I invite you to stand up right now. We're going to close in a song. And you're welcome to come up here. I'll pray for you up here if you want to come up here. But I want us to just commit to him that from this day forward, I'm going to have the right attitude. I'm not going to allow things in the world around me to affect me the way they may have affected me in the past. So let's go ahead and worship him right now as we close.